You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. Today we're marking the 100th episode of the Dirty Feet podcast. We've been running for 100 weeks straight without skipping a beat, uh, basically talking about dance for up to an hour, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less every week. Uh, we're based here in Montreal. Uh, we've had the pleasure of uh, doing some exploring this summer, and uh, and we've also been able to meet a lot of international guests coming through Montreal with their productions. So that's uh, what we've been up to for a hundred weeks, for a hundred episodes, and we wanted to celebrate in our favorite way, which is uh, you know by talking about dance, because that's what we love to do. So what we've done today, uh, you've got the. The three standard co-hosts that you are used to listening to, myself, Allison, we've got J.D. Papillon and Stephanie Morin-Robert also in studio with us, and uh, recurring guest host Tim Rodrigues, in addition to uh, three other artists that we've had on the show uh, at different times before who we've really appreciated the company of and the presence of, and uh, I think they enjoy talking about dance as much as we do, so it's a real pleasure to have all three of them in studio, especially on uh, Thanksgiving Monday. So the, thank you so much for being here. We have uh, Phil Fortin, who is a dance artist as well as a uh, video and photographer. Uh, we also have Margie Gillis, who I need no introduction, but I'll, uh, I'll give you an introduction in terms of our context. We had her on the show before for uh, The Light Between, which is the work that she put together in March 2013. That was our 19th episode, if you want to look it up. That was a conversation we had with her. We also have Dorian Neskin Oder, who uh, we had on in February of 2013. She is a choreographer originally from New York, who is now uh, working mostly in Montreal. And we were speaking with uh, Dorian about her show at the time, which was uh, Pale Water. And we also discussed with her uh, an old work of hers called uh, Everything Was Beautiful and Nothing Hurt, because uh, we are big fans of her work. Uh, I should mention, too, that Phil has never actually been on Dirty Feet, but we did have him on Movement Museum, which is the show that uh, J.D. and I used to work on uh, over at uh, CKUT and the McGill radio station there. And that was for an episode where we did about LGBT artists in dance. So uh, this, is, this is the table. This is who's going on. Perhaps what we can do real quick is just get a, a voice sample from everybody. If we could go to my right, just say uh, hi and, uh, and why you like talking about dance. Hi, my name's Phil. And I love talking about dance because it's something that's inspired me pretty much since birth and just been moving ever since and haven't stopped. I'm Margie and I can't stop dancing and I love dance and I also think that it's extremely important for the world and the new metaphors that are going to rise. If we're going to go forward, we're going to need experiential wisdom and that means dance. I'm Dorian and I very much agree with Margie that the experiential nature of dance research is incredibly important and valuable. And I particularly enjoy talking about it because it helps me to clarify um, my ideas and how I should articulate them because I feel like often as dancers, uh, we need to work on how we articulate what we do and how we can defend it uh, in a language that people understand. <laughs> my name is Stephanie and um, I also like talking about dance, <laughs> uh, mostly because I feel our bodies are our tools and um, to, to learn about them to talk about them, to feel them, to understand them. It's a, it's, it's a lifestyle, and it's, yeah, it's great. Let's talk about it. Hello, Tim, and uh, I enjoy speaking about dance because it's the, uh, it, I like exploring through conversation people's reactions to dance and uh, how they match up with my own, and just open conversation about dance is extremely stimulating for me. Hi, I'm JD. Um, Actually, the reason why I enjoy doing this show is because of the variety of responses we've just received from everyone around the table. Because basically, this is what Montreal offers, and not just Montreal, a lot of different dance scenes. But dance is much more than a show. It's it, it can be it can go from 
bring ideas of philosophy into a performance space. It can bring a lot of joy to people. It can bring a lot of comfort also. And I feel that the more we talk about it, the more it reaches a wider audience. I think I like talking about dance because I'm trying to understand its secrets. And uh, and when I see when I see work that's very inspiring or very intriguing, and, and I want to I want to discuss it because I want to figure out what makes it tick and what makes me tick at the same time as an audience member to respond to it in that way, and what makes it so that I'm repulsed by another piece of work or or bored by something. So that's it. I'm trying to figure it out. Although uh, I don't think I'm ever going to get there, but I'm having a fun time along for the ride. Just to get the ball rolling, perhaps, uh, just thinking uh, about your background, Phil, and how more and more there's technology being infused in, in performance, and it's become a real integral part of a lot of people's work. And I know that you work, all three of you work with technology to different degrees and in different ways, whether it be a video incorporated into the show or intricate lighting design or costuming or something other than just pure movement that has, uh, you know, infiltrated kind of what is the role of the choreographer. Um, yeah, I would like a, a response to to that idea of the relationship between choreography being just about creating movement and choreography being about integrating all these different elements on stage. Well, I'll start. I'll be flat out honest. I'm I'm an emerging filmmaker, film, filmmaker and artist, so a lot of this is still quite new for me. So I'm glad to be a part of this conversation just because I'm still dis- discovering it all and trying to figure it out. And I'm actually in the process of writing my second grant and tr- and in the, in the process of doing so, realizing that I actually find it really hard to articulate some of these things. So hopefully I can learn in this conversation a little bit on how to articulate myself a little better about some of these ideas. Why I'm inspired about technology and movement. Um, one thing, like I grew up loving watching films. Um, I love. I think we love getting lost in stories, and that's why we like la- and lend ourselves when we go watch a movie. We want to get lost in it. We want to be immersed by it. And I think there's something about that that Im- immersive quality to film, to dance, to performance that I'm inspired by. I want to I wanna be transported to another world. And so I think performance, when done properly, can very much do that. It can bring you to a whole other world just by using the body. And it's like, now, now that we have this awesome technology, there's some really great stuff happening in the world of installation, video, sculpture, um, I don't know if you guys know anything like Moment Factory is doing um, or what's happening. Like a, a lot of like there's a big immersive f- um, theater uh, movement happening in New York. This is the kind of stuff that I'm like, okay, I see elements a little bit everywhere that I'm just like wanting to hone in together. And then I have this love for film. Um, and how can I just bring it all together? And then once my audience steps into that portal that I call either a film or the doorway to that theater, it's like, what are the qualities um, and the elements I need to to hone and master to allow my audience to just lose themselves? And that that is the, that's the magic I look for in, in performance. Um, hmm, I think I, I have a tendency to ramble a little bit. No, that's <laughs> I'm just kind of putting out a few ideas out that's there. That's why you're here. <laughs> uh, we love rambling, seriously. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like last night I was, I went to, um, this immersive forest installation with my dad and there's something like just, just the quality of what light can do. You know, when I get like, I come from the camp, like the country, I'm like a farm kid. Um, I grew up in the back of a campground, so I'm like country to the, even the farm kids. Cause I was like in the, I was a pagan child in the back of the woods dancing by myself in the forest. And, um, and, and when I was in this forest last night, that's all was beautifully lit. It was like, it was really, it was really great to, to, to see how technology was bringing out the magic in the forest. And just, just by lighting, there was barely any performance. There was like a little bit of video, video installation that kind of had these like ghost like characters done through shadow and stuff. Um, and, ha- and these characters have very particular movements and, and sounds that they're creating in the forest um, and, and 
but there was still there was still like this this separation like we were always watching a spectacle and I, there's something about I think that's why like I uh, I don't know if any of you experience like sleep no more when you, in New York yeah. like there's something about like it happening all around you and and many people have different feelings about what sleep no more or that what punch drunk is is bringing to the the table in, in terms of performance um but i i for me for something to be immersive like the details need to be like all around me and i think one of the biggest elements to something being immersive is the sound you know i've always believed as a filmmaker that like my eyes bring me into the world and the sound brings the world into me and so like sound be it for dance production or film production can make or break a piece um, because if it, the world's not coming into you then how can you feel like you're a part of it I'm going to leave it there and I'll <laughs> jump back in the conversation in a little bit <laughs> I, th- I think that one of the things I'd like to pick up on is, is the immersive quality of art and how it transports you I think one of the, the important and lovely things about that or what is certainly what engages me Let's just be selfish here, Margie. Just what engages me with it is the transformative quality, how we we dive into these worlds, we go there, and we are modeled, or it's modeled for us, or helps us model, and learn um, the transformative, the how to make shift from um, all the the stuck fear, mucky bits into something wonderful and beautiful, and helps us renew ourselves and go go further. Um, I think that that uh, if you see something beautiful, you should go see it again. If you, as Ted Robinson, the wonderful Ted Robinson says, and if you see something you really hate, go see that again too. <laughs> you know, because it's engaged you, it's it's grabbed you in 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 some kind of way, and ha- and has juice for you and modeling for you. I'm considered a bit of a purist because I really love. Uh, I, I really like to stick with um, the body. Um, I, my lighting designer, Pierre Lavoie, who's been my lighting designer for over 30 years. Um, I absolutely adore working with him. I adore collaborating with him. I adore, I think that that's such a pure and fine relationship we have. Um, music is an element. The floor is the element. The audience is the element. And, um, already, f- and, and costuming, whatever, whatever. But costuming, yes, yes. And, and so those already are a lot of elements for me. I find it disconcerting when I go to a show and I start watching a screen instead of a person. And I, it upsets me, actually, from a moral standpoint. However, um, I see its point, and I, I love that, and go see it twice because it irritates the heck out of me. And, uh, but uh, for the most part, that's also an economic problem, right? There's, you know, I don't have money. To, to involve all those other elements. And if I don't have money to involve all those other elements, you figure, oh my gosh. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited about the body going forward. And, um, and um, I love the new technologies, but I really am uh, really down to what can a human being do and what can Mother Nature do and what can we... And I think we're going to be more and more performing outside of theater, um, I love film, but I think that that's a translation of what's on stage or, or that experience. Um, that's it. Well, I'll continue just by going back to what you're saying. I totally agree with that. That's why I say, like, if a performance done cor- correctly, I think technology is only supposed to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Like, you know, I think about, like, Shakespeare. Shakespeare only, like, they had very few props, very few costumes, because his words were like everything was in there. If the performers performed yeah. properly, like you were transported there. Yes. You didn't like you didn't need everything else. And I guess that's also my philosophy when I'm directing and doing dramaturgy. It's like how can I bring the performance out of you and then just fill in the details with a little bit of technology magic. I wish everybody could see your face light up like a candle. It's so beautiful. <laughs> As you talk, you're like, Whoa! It's really lovely. Really, really great. Yeah, you. When I get passionate. <laughs> we are passionate it. people. We are passionate people. Yeah. There's um, a lot of things being said in 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 there about uh, almost the. I'll just go back to what you said that the technology should just fill in the details. There is um, and also Margie, you said that it, uh, there's a there's an economic thing that's Factor happening as well. It, yeah. They're kind of almost related. Some people are using. The, the the desire is there to integrate technology because technology mm-hmm. um, is is rampant right now in live performance. If you go see any Broadway show or, or 
uh, operas or like the technology doesn't seem like it's there, but there's a lot of technology behind the scenes in video and in uh, lighting, automated lighting and all those things. Um, what I wanted to say was a bit in reaction to the filling in the details and Shakespeare and whatnot. Um, I think there needs to be a little more trust in the um, artists that come with the technology. Uh, there have yes. been many artists who have worked specifically in emerging technologies that uh, have become pioneers and have opened up their oeuvre to a larger audience. Like Namjoon Pak came to mind right away, who's a early video artist in the Fluxus movement. And that whole movement was really all over the place, but they also leaned on technology when they were also stripping away the ideas of performance and art. So um, as a technical collaborator, I can definitely say that there are... Um, people out there with the knowledge and the desire to um, collaborate in a real sense in order to not just fill in the details, but to lift the work up using what's available and current so that um, the evolution happens like uh, smoother, yeah. so that you're not um, hitting and you're not swinging and missing when you're trying to grab onto a video element because you feel you have to keep up. And I, I say you in the general sense, not necessarily speaking about anybody's work at this table, but um, there, there is that desire to have that happen. Um, that's all. Kind yeah, of. I know the guys yeah. at, uh, um, at 49, 59, um, uh, that, that did um, the War Horse and did, um, mm -hmm. the, the, and did the projections on um, the... Um, well, they've done a lot of operas and they've done a lot of stuff on the, the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. They did the projections on that and stuff like that. And they really, and I've collaborated with them. I mean, I, I got a week with, with Leo because um, I know his mom. And <laughs> writer anarchist. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I could not have, uh, I mean, the, the, I, the, the so uh, yes, I think those artists, and they do support the idea. Mm -hmm. They are working in a very, very tender and compelling way um, with brilliance and, and, and uh, rigor and talent. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, a little on the testy side financially. Eh? Yeah, it can be, for sure. I saw a Broadway show recently, which I hadn't seen a Broadway show in probably about 15 years. And I was pretty shocked after having become very, very um, accustomed to the level of production of uh, your average contemporary dance show here in Montreal, or even the international touring productions, to go see a performance that was installed in a Broadway theater and had that kind of a budget um, was a bit of a shock to my eyes and my ears. And one thing that I did feel was that uh, it was almost more like the experience of watching a movie in the sense that the sound was so clean, it almost seemed flat, and I almost was even questioning if the performers were lip-syncing, even though I knew intellectually that they weren't. Um, and also with the lighting and everything was just kind of very flat in a very funny way. Um, and it, it got me thinking about this question of, uh, of the relationship between the cinematic and the live performance and how initially when we talk about when uh, film in, or when television was first developing as a technology and we were filming theater works for people to watch at home, the emphasis was on making the television experience as close to the theater experience as possible. And now mm -hmm. because television and film are our dominant media, that's switched. And so as a performance maker who doesn't have the budget to do what Broadway is doing, um, I think it's, it's really interesting to consider what the, the value of the live aspect of what we're doing is and what the experience is to go to a theater or to go to a performance that's live. And I think it's a really rich place for us to be mining. I think that's why these immersive performances have really taken off. I mean, again, Punch Drunk has a huge budget, but... But it really it touches on something that's that you can go inside of that's live that couldn't function as film, mm -hmm. and I, I think that that's a at least for me that's where my interest lies now is thinking about everything that live performance can do that screen media can't because screen media does what it does really really well. There's so much nodding happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I um jump in? Um, the, what that makes me think of next, so like, you know, in film now, there's like this big thing that everybody wants to do, their 3D film, it doesn't really sell me, I'm just like, 
like it just it looks like a weird pop-up book and that's why i'm like but that being said um i did get to see philip spore's uh collaboration with crystal pites uh 3d film and and see how like you can use that 3d quality to be something immersive and i and so i guess i want to kind of open the conversation there because that's kind of I think technology that that, it, it, yeah it, i saw that too and i think it, i i really enjoyed it and i but i felt it really augmented crystal's ideas transformers i mean seriously there there it just augmented the idea so there wasn't two things going uh, clashing in that there all the clash can be good too but uh, there wasn't in, in that and I I, I, ju- I would like to uh, reiterate something that um, uh, Dorian said about being in presence is so important uh, particularly as we come become alienated with the computers and with technology it puts a distance between us and it's so precious it's so so incredibly precious to be in the room with people it's a big it's a it's a different thing or to have our voices weaving through somebody's life as they do their lives um yeah being in presence is is uh is just incredibly important and it's incredibly important for our limbic system our inner brain our middle brain the one that helps us have compassion and if we get away from that compassionate brain we're 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 going towards a you know, if you don't have compassion you don't make the links you you can't make the links you lose the ability to make the links and that the 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 if you follow that down its natural sequence it's a not a good place to go i think we're about to develop a fourth brain which will again be compassionate a compa- an integrative brain for all of the three that we have the the little lizard brain our our compassionate brain and then our our um intellectual uh segmented brain fourth one coming <laughs> One of the inter- interesting things here, I, th- I feel, is that this all also comes down to the creative process of it. Um, one of the problems with using technology often, I feel, is, as, as you, you're saying, Margie, the, um, the lack of human connection to some mm-hmm. extent. And I feel that the projects where technology really works is when you can feel a distinct connection between the choreographer and the, the technician who's going to be using and that technology. And um, Dorian, like in your case, you have a collaborator who helps you with the music, with the lighting, uh, and with those technological aspects. And you've been working together for a really long time. Uh, Margie, you were mentioning, you know, you have your uh, lighting yeah, yeah, uh, technician one. or designer who, that you've been working with for many years. There's a human aspect there where it's not so much a choreographer or a director who's just asking, do this, it's really, let's share something, and that's what's going to bring that human connection, and that where the, the human is not going to fade, and that presence also is not going to fade lovely behind point. the technology, yeah. I feel. Yeah, lovely mm-hmm. point. And with, with, with budgeting as well, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's the main problem. Mm-hmm. It's always about the money. But uh, the fact that you could probably only afford to bring in a lighting designer or uh, a technician or a sound designer lat- like last at the end for that final stretch right before you're about to stage the show unless you have like a really great friend of yours that does it and that's around and that you can have these discussions with um, and I also feel this kind of maybe underlines something else that as a choreographer or a dancer um, the first person that will get paid in a production is usually the technician Mm-hmm. Um, because you, yeah. that's just the, I guess, the reality of it. Yeah. Um, so it's an interesting relationship to feel that that work is almost more valued because it it implies a certain um, a certain knowledge that's not the body because everybody has a body. Everybody has the knowledge of their own body, whether it's more developed or or more technical. That's a different thing, but. I find that interesting. I'd love to know what all of you think of that. Of, of the economics of yeah, the economics. yeah. Well, I think in society, if I just don't, you don't mind, I jump in. I think in society that we do have segments of work that are undervalued, and I think that um, I don't think it's good. <laughs> I'm a little bit more egalitarian in that, but on the other hand, it, it is a reality, and I think that we have to uh, look at how we raise ourselves and not lower others. 
that and as long as we're doing that we're moving forward on that agenda but yeah it's unfair is it, but you want to get your work out. I want to get my work out. So, of course, it's like, okay, yeah, oh, don't pay me. You know, put it in there. Put it in there. Yeah, so yeah. we have a lot of, you know, choreographers who are also performing, also doing the lighting designing and yeah. also doing, you know, all of this other stuff that, that makes, um, that not only pushes other possibilities away, but, but uh, you kind of spread yourself a little thin within yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen a, a lot of productions uh, where where I've I've gone to the tech because I know the the artists and and watch dancers standing around waiting 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 while glitches in technology get fixed and then they don't get the proper the proper time on stage. Uh, there's a there's definitely a lot um, behind uh, those situations of technicians. Um, or technical collaborators being paid first or being paid at all. Um, technical teams not necessarily living up to the billing. Um, but at the root of some of those things is the fact that they are getting paid and some dancers are not, or some maybe the costume designer is not, or the production manager is the boyfriend or the girlfriend and they're not getting paid for their time either. So there, there's um, a lot of pressure on those uh, collaborators at that point because if you're the person making the money in the room then you have to be on point so there's a lot of uh, gotcha. there's a lot of planning mm-hmm. there's a lot of planning for disaster and how you come back from that uh, there's a lot of dealing with the disaster and coming back from that and then uh, you run a perfect show and you go home I think that's excellent you know, so. interesting languaging for what's going on right now in the world <laughs> <laughs> as we go into climate disasters, disasters, and get, planning for yeah. getting over it, coming around. Wow! But when we get, you know, when we, when I, when I, when I do a show as a line designer, um, I, I do, I do ask if the dancers are being paid, or at least try and figure out if the dancers are being paid, because um, it's important for me to know that everybody is. Uh, part of the production team and being compensated for their time. Mainly because um, I'll just be, I guess, upfront. At this point in my career, I want to be working with people who are organized from the top down as best they can with the resources that they have. Because then what that, what that tells me is that um, I'm going to be able to look after m- my section and then any time that I have freed up, I know that I can move over and help I have more lateral movement that way than if I was being hired as a do-all to look after um, a larger part of the technical collaborative aspect whereas if I'm looking after one department and I know that the dancers have everything they need and the choreographer has uh, there somebody helping them with publicity or somebody helping them with scheduling and they have an outside eye that everybody has a good energy and everybody has um, everybody's well rested in a way because that makes a huge difference. When you have to spread yourself thin, um, it shows. And when it shows, is at the worst time possible because it shows in Tech Week. It shows in Tech Week when the technical collaborators have to step their game up because they've been on the sidelines. So it's, it's, it's interesting that uh, there... I've always found it interesting that there isn't more of a push for younger choreographers to get a production manager or an assistant before they find a, coll- a technical collaborator to like get into bed with forever because I feel that that right hand really frees up a lot of energy for them to choreograph and build their company and um, really solidify the foundation of their of their work yeah but I think you're, you're talking about at a certain level right because I, I remember when I started I built my lighting board I built it. I built it with dimmer switches, and we bought these things from, from these colored lights from Canadian Tire, and we plugged them in, and we had skinned wires, and we ran it <laughs> around the place, and, and my boyfriend, like, did the lights, and, you know, I had a little, borrowed a, a little radio system and put my shit on it, and na 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 I had these little songs, and, you know, woohoo, no one can sue me. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to get? Um, and uh, just, and, and danced, and just 
did it and just did it and did it. But I did learn from the yes. ground. I learned every aspect of what I mean. I was I was Hands I washed on. the floor. Yeah. I put up the lights. I made the timber board with Jack. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's we, not we a lot. There aren't a lot of growing in that. There aren't a lot of immersive experiences like that actually that choreographers get, especially ones that are coming out of a uh, post secondary education system. Mm-hmm. Because you're shepherd in a certain direction, and then depending on the philosophy of the school, the different aspects of production are introduced in different ways or not at all. So it's interesting to hear that. Uh, I have, have a lot really of friends that come you know, out of Juilliard and stuff like that, and they've had beautiful and wonderful training. And um, you know, Linda Rabin working with Louis Horse and all these amazing people, right? And they're, and and yet I came out of like just sheer. Um, Arab, you know, pagan <laughs> passion, <laughs> and and um, I can't say one is better than the other, seriously. But but uh, it was a. I am grateful for my experience for yeah. that aspect of, of it. Yes, for for getting my fingers and everything. Yeah, I mean, it it shows in in young choreographers or choreographers in general who have had the opportunity to get their hands dirty, for lack of a better term. Um, You see it in the way that they build their show, not their piece. Because, for me, that's two different things when I I say their show. The way they build their show makes a huge difference. If they have at least um, working knowledge or a common vocabulary with their collaborators, that that comes back to the, the, the team having to come off the bench and step their game up because now it's their time. And when the choreographer has the tools to do that with them, it, it it shows. You know? Yeah, it, it breeds common language instead yeah. of, what are they doing? <laughs> yeah, what why is it taking doing? so long? Or... Yeah, that's really irritating. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't you don't know yeah. that other person's work or that's where it. they come from. Yeah. You know, at, at the end of the day, um, for myself in a production, I always refer to the people around me as the team. And everything is about, sorry, I, I love sports, so everything is a sports <laughs> reference, regardless of my <clears throat> dance background. Uh and I, I really feel that the idea of a team with a with a central coach, more so than a leader, somebody that can bring everybody together and, and rally everybody towards the goal is is ideal. And finding those those um, finding those, that common language and that common goal is very important. And the choreographers who are good at that are great at it. If you know, mm-hmm. that kind of comes back to. Why I said that is at the end, how we started this conversation about technicians being paid or being paid first or whatever. It's it's unfortunately part of the reality, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they are part of the team and the goal is the exact same. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep, we have consensus on that at this table. <laughs> One thing about a coach, though, is that the coach and what's going to make him the coach is that he's going to understand every little corner and he's going to understand how uh, maybe not as a professional would maybe not as someone who specializes in something but he's going to understand what everyone's role is and how like the weaknesses the strengths that are needed for that and that's what makes it difficult because as we mentioned as a choreographer coming out of school you don't necessarily have touched all of that Uh, finding people who have made it to a point where they can understand all of those elements uh, sometimes those people are going to be older or more experienced, so it's difficult to bring them in into uh, an emerging choreographer's work, mm-hmm. maybe for financial or just connection or networking difficulties. And I feel that when you start, it's it's good to not necessarily have one person, one centralized person, but know a lot of people who are good at a lot of things so that they, you can... Uh, just through connect, through discussion with them, like bring those elements in and learn so that you can yourself uh, sort of take up that role of the coach, in, even as a choreographer. Um, the, one of the first shows I worked on as a production manager uh, was a show. It was the um, first show out of school that was being self-produced by a choreographer, and I was able to step into that role, and we filled in the details together based on our our experiences, her, her immense dance background and and really getting what she wanted at that point in her career getting what she wanted out of the dancers with her rehearsal director and then i was able to fill in the scheduling with her and the granting and the lighting and then also on the people side based on my dance background i was able to um help her manage the company for 
the show and through injuries and scheduling and rearranging and sometimes it happens in a perfect storm and there is a perfect storm at some points and uh, when you which is which is why speaking about dance and getting together with people to talk about things is important because you make those connections Mm -hmm. because i wasn't in this ladies class at concordia but we found each other through mutual friends and had mutual respect and we were able to to do this like there there are opportunities i think sometimes um this is a bit of a generalization so forgive me but maybe it'll spark a different conversation um when you come out or you are an emerging choreographer sometimes choreographers in general you get caught in the bubble and you can't necessarily see that there are resources around you because you're so focus driven you're so f- focused on a goal it's like so sometimes you don't see that there are those people around you maybe not in one person maybe in two where you can split your time which is why i made the statement before i find it interesting that people don't look for that that right hand out of school or even early on in their career to help build as a, as somebody who doesn't choreograph for a living, I can't speak or begin to imagine why that doesn't happen. I just find it interesting that it doesn't. Um, this really does actually, I do have something to say. Um, and it, it does segue. That is actually a beautiful segue into something that I would love to talk about, which I think um, people are talking about a lot right now in Montreal and elsewhere as well as, budgets once again are being drastically slashed is this question of resource sharing and I think in Montreal also there's been a lot of discussion of um, intergenerational resource sharing and how more established artists can reach out to younger artists and how unused resources like space can be can be redistributed um, all these sort of questions about looking around at what we already have and how it can be used more efficiently and um, I think I just would love to hear from other people on that topic. I've been watching a whole bunch of uh, PBS stuff uh, as well on that and just mm-hmm. feeling it, and not just for dance, but globally, this is going to be, this is what we're, we have to move into. We have to be able to, if we're going to not keep, uh, if we're going to enter into a, a place where we, we take care of our planet and we're more recyclable and we're more, we're more um, energy uh, resource efficient and um, certainly as well as fusion coming about and it's exciting and I'm very hopeful very 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 hopeful for it because I think also there's a generosity in that 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 really thrills me that people really do link back up to each other and that they um, that they uh, yeah are engaged in that I love that I'm really hoping that there will be more of that and it, as you say, the uh, by uh, you didn't actually say, but I think it can be hard for some of us to see what resources we have in the dance because we're so used to like, as you, with the focus thing, you get like driven. We forget to say thank you sometimes because we have, oh, got it, man, I've been waiting for that for, for like twenty years. You know, now it's mine. Run, you know. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Football down the thing. Um, but um, so often we don't we don't sit in gratitude or look at our resources or look at what we do have that we can um, uh, put out there for sharing elements yeah and the intergenerational exchange in this like share of of knowledge and resources really speaks to me because I've been working for um, almost two years now with Ian Ferrier who's who's from a different generation different world different practice spoken word artist and musician and I've been just so thankful to have mm. him involved in, in my creative process. And at first, you know, I, I kind of saw him more as a mentor. And now he's like a, a best friend and a, a, a very close collaborator. And um, so that's that's been lovely. And and I didn't realize to what extent it would open so many doors, um, not only reaching out to the spoken word community and that whole other realm mm-hmm. of possibilities uh, for performing and for networking and meeting all these different people, but also, you know, when it came to, to grant writing, you can't, you can't fake, you know, 40 to 45 to 50, well, not 50, well, holy crap, uh, 40, 40 years of, of grant writing experiences is really rich and and you know you can't learn about that in a book and 
and that's been extremely, extremely great uh, for for the company. And, and I think even Allison, who's who's been a really close collaborator and, and involved uh, in this, I'm sure you've you've seen that as well as how just these amazing people we've met that we would have never crossed paths with and. Um, and also this this idea I think Tim was mentioning of of resources and and being so focused on on something that you don't realize what's around and these people that that could help you and maybe have the same goal and you can go in that direction with them. Um, I think uh, I mean I, I work for the Fringe Festival here in Montreal and I'm also a big fan of the Fringe and I know that there's this like stigma of of that not being a good opportunity because it's by lottery and it's not selected uh, and it's so there's there's a lot of uh, different opinions on that but I, I think I pretty much had the the best summer of my life with this this fringe tour that we just did and did. 26 shows where we had a technician we had beautiful performances in these beautiful spaces and and an audience and we got to tour the country and there's like to me that's the richest thing and i could have never done that in montreal and just the people that we met along the way it's Um, huge it's a huge resource and if we can't do our work we can't get it better exactly Mm -hmm. yeah so that's so i think i'm on this Thanksgiving Monday, oh, <laughs> I'm so yay. thankful for all of these things and 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 for all these people that we meet and cross paths with, you know, and and we do get stuck in our bubble, and I think that's the main idea that this this podcast to kind of bring it back to, you know, hundred episodes of talking to these really inspirational and and remarkable people that that help me help us get out of our bubbles because we all have you know thinking about like oh yeah i need to go finish that grant at home right when i get you know and Mm -hmm. all these things that we need to run to but to to stop and take time and kind of sneak into other people's lives and other people's creative processes and it actually helps helps all of us grow and and understand ourselves really so uh yeah i think you really hit the nail on the head when you said uh you can't learn that in a book (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah because there's a lot of that I don't know how many times I've had conversations with people who are like, yeah, but they didn't teach us that in school. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, because some things are harder to learn in school. And what and some of, the, some of the lessons that you learn best are through mentors and mentorships and experiences. And, and uh, you know, I it's kind of been in the back of my head, but I know in terms of the light design discipline, the mentorship is dying. And I and I see that it's still alive in the in in contemporary dance and choreography, but it's also on the verge of, of going the way of the dinosaur. And um, I always find it refreshing when I see um, work that I that I really enjoy, and then I see who mentored that person, who brought them along, and then you get that sense of community and and tradition being passed down. Really, and that's I, I feel like there's a bit of that missing at some points especially in the montreal community not to say that it doesn't happen because friends of mine are being mentored by people and and they're very grateful for it but i feel like um i just i wish there could be more i think that that part of the um i'm i'm starting up a legacy project now a lot of a lot of dance people have come to me and said we want this stuff we want it the way you teach is is unique the way you do what you do all this stuff and the, this is unique and that is unique let 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 we want in because um, i'm now 62 60 whatever anyway and um so so where do you where do you uh put this but w- what we're we're discussing or dialoguing which is exciting to me is um a horizontal mentorship mm-hmm. instead of a vertical mentorship so i think when it gets precious it dies and i don't like that i i just like so ta- how does the work relate to your work how can you take it further into the world that you're going to inherit that you're going to see that you're going to be with and that can re-inspire me too mm-hmm. and keeps everybody as you said with your with your elder mentor that the mentoring shifted to a mutual yeah. mutual inspirations mutual uh deepenings and mutual learnings because we do need we're, we're we need different things at different times in our lives but when we reconnect we we create more of a a whole and i think that part of the legacy project or the the mentoring project needs to be seen in more of a horizontal 
uh, structure as opposed to a vertical structure mm. so that we become more egalitarian about this and we and we, we share in a more um, realistic and inspiring and, and communal way. I think that translates really well with what you were saying of, of like this more of an idea of a coach than a leader and like, or I guess a leader is a coach, but whatever word you want to use, you know, of, of that horizontal direction. And that's like the, the goal is the same for both to, to kind of help each other in that way. And that the relationship feeds both artists' practice. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I know who have mentored me who've really um, been engaged and it's been an effective mentorship, it's been because they're also really clear about how these kinds of relationships feed their own practice and recycle energy into their own ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that when I... It's interesting, I, I, I took part in a, a dancer's resource... What's, what's the dancer's transition? Mm-hmm. They do the Danse Transit with the graduates. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I was talking about with them with this question of how important it is to seek out people who are already working in the milieu um, for these kinds of mentoring relationships um, is to always be thinking also about what you have to offer to that relationship. Um, And that can mean um, many, many different things. You may have a specific skill or it may just be in terms of bringing energy to a situation and to a conversation. But that I think for artists just coming out of school, there can be this fear of taking, of always just trying to sort of latch on to someone, like a little, uh, one of those little fish that, (laughs) but those fish serve a purpose, hey, those little little cleaner fish, you can be a little cleaner fish, you know, just this idea that that it's a valuable relationship for both parties, and that you don't have to feel um, like you're simply imposing your needs as as an emerging artist, that there's, it's it's an important role to fill as well. I feel that might be one of the hardest parts of this um, as someone who's new on the scene, as someone who's just starting out to really believe in yourself and believe in the fact that you can bring something to someone who's got more experience, who's been more established, uh, feeling that it it wouldn't be just this vertical, this one-way relationship, but that you could actually also give something. And quite often, like in my case and other people I know's case, what's going to stop us from going towards people is this this fear that you don't have anything to bring to them, that you're still just gathering everything around you, but that you don't have anything yet to offer, especially not to someone who's higher up. And this is hard to fight off. I think idea. when you're young, you don't understand. Uh, we, it's, it's really hard to understand, certainly it was for me, um, to understand that dance is a tentative thing all the way along. There, I have I know a lot of people who are praised and sung and represent an awful lot of other people who are unpraised and unsung and should be um, but m- the majority of the dance community it's a tentative all the way through right all the way through um, till the last breath that's it um, we're, we're alive we're uh, it's it's a, it's a fragile it's a it's a fragile place but there's there's strength in that fragility there's place in that fragility and i think when you understand that there's a softening about the fact that you're scared we're scared it's all a little scary but that's being alive it's just scary it's just like wow yippee and small scary is good because that's thrilled Woohoo! <laughs> and that's our passion so yeah But it it is hard to know when you're young that somebody else is feeling like standing there quaking in their boots, too. I will just say, to go back to the Thanksgiving thing, I'm thankful to be here because you are all just confirming (laughs) some of my worries and some of my fears and some of my experiences. And so it's really great to hear you all. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take it into a whole new direction, if you don't mind. Um... One thing that Alison mentioned and that actually, Margie, you mentioned uh, later on about either being bored by a show or hating a show. Mm-hmm. And he felt that, that that is a kind of a taboo. Like, I mean, if someone asks you what, the, what, you, think of, what you thought of their work, you're not going to say, oh, I was bored or oh, I hated it. It's going to be, oh, it was interesting. It's not something that we're going to allow ourselves to accept, either boredom or hating uh, a piece. Yet that relationship between an an audience and a work is very much part of reality. And I feel that it's important that we face up to it. Mm -hmm. 
because being bored by a show or not connecting with a show is not actually a bad thing I feel like sometimes it's just a very personal thing and one thing I've learned from doing this podcast and one thing that I feel that Dirty Feet is bringing all of us is the fact that it opens us up to not judging a show purely on appreciation but really opening up to everything else that it can contain so I'd like to know like when you go see a show that you feel bored by or that you hate how can like how do you turn this into something else something that can be positive well i've always said that like i i just love going to see shows whether it's a great show or an awful show i feel like it all brings a learning experience and i think people need i don't know i've had a few people in my life that are just like they're so hard on when they see something bad i'm just like just learn from it It's like I, I don't know. Like I think it's it's about the conversation, and the, also like they'll they'll not go see a show if they already know that's going to be bad. And it's just like I feel like if we're going to be artists, we got to engage with the 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 community. And and if you want people to comment on your work, you have to equally engage and be willing to go to all sorts of work: good, bad, great, awful, imaginary, and even like not even within your own like creative realm. You know, I think that's what creates really rich work. And going back to what you guys were talking about. Like, you know, around the, the, the intergenerational mentoring and, and collaboration, like, I think that's exactly what creates rich work. It's, it's seeing what's, what's great out there. I think there's a theory out there that, like, cities that, is just, that are producing just so much work are actually the ones that create, end up having great work because you're, you're bound to have shit performances. Mm -hmm. and, but, like, from that, people learn and create greatness. Also, every artist is going to go through a yucky phase. You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. Mm -hmm. There's going to be things in your way where you just you can't, and that's that's it, and that's fine. And uh, we do have to have to uh, go through periods, peaks, and valleys. And every every uh, artist has to learn all the way through. So yeah, I agree with that. I think that um, when I was young, well, I do, I'm I'm not a big fan of criticism, because I think if you use the word criticism, it implies that you have to give negative feedback. Um, but I do believe in supportive criticism or supportive not criticism, uh, just a dialogue about what you've seen, where you're going. Um, I had another word for it, and that's escaped me uh, at the moment. But, feedback, um, constructive feedback. Yeah, well, not constructive feedback. I find that a little bit too. But, yeah, sharing or just uh, letting mm -hmm. people, yeah, constructive feedback would be fine. And uh, um, so I think that in a way um, it's a... a It allows for um, this politeness that you're talking about is, is, is very useful, is very useful. But we need to be honest, and actually a lot of people are really in your face about, we, we are in our faces about what we think. And a lot of artists really want to antagonize people. Certainly they did when I was a kid, and I know they still do now. It's like, I'm you know, backstage with artists going, woohoo, they were so pissed off they got so angry they were so they hated it this is so great i'm so excited you know i'm like what because i'm a, a big um, interconnector kind of person I, i left a sports background because i didn't like competition i was looking for some kind of greater coming together um but uh so that's kind of alien to me but i really get it and i really appreciate it and i love those people i love their boldness and their wit and their audacity in it and 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 crashing through that so i i you know i think it's a i think it's a good thing and one of the reasons i do love and live in quebec is because i think people are more willing here we live in a society that propagates perfection that propagates like everything is going to be perfect and wonderful and beautiful and it ain't and it isn't and it won't um shift transformation uh those areas of of moving forward Uh, as a human species, the new metaphors that are created by art um, that allow us to, to move forward in a healthy and sane and loving ma manner and, and point out the places where we shouldn't go. I think those are, are really compelling. It's important to know where we shouldn't go. Don't do this. Look, I smashed this. Don't do this. That's good. <laughs> you know. I'm reminded of a time when uh, I saw a show that I really didn't enjoy, but three hours later, I was still talking about it with a companion that came to see the show with me. I was like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> This yeah. has done something to me. This has sparked something in me. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. 
And I definitely agree, Phil. There's there's so many different ways of, of absorbing work and kind of making it work for you in one way or another. Um, but that doesn't mean that I can't be disappointed. Yeah. And I do find that I am, the more work I see, the harder it is to uh, get me excited about it. And then when I do see something really exciting, it almost makes the stuff that I almost liked no good if that makes any sense when I see it work and I'm like oh okay this is what this is what I like this is what I want to see this is what this is why I love dance and then it kind of it makes it harder for me to keep oh. enjoying the, the mid-ground stuff I there's an artist the uh, Schindmeier used to uh, work a lot here and I I loved his work out of the theater community and what I loved the best about it was he made the greatest fabulous mistakes Like, the stuff that was crap was so wonderfully crap. It was all done for the right intention. It was so beautifully wrong. And yet he did other stuff that was just, I mean, within a piece, you'd have moments that were just absolutely miraculous, and then it would just go, wham, poop, and crash and and come back. But I loved... um, I loved how how close to the surface of it all, this human attempt at... at, uh, at going further was and these brave throwing oneself into space you know and that that guy jumping off the building the, mm-hmm. the blue the blue person risk is really important i think more than anything um that's what we respond to whether it's with uh, elated love for what we're watching or absolute hate or total boredom i'm actually not at all uh troubled by experiencing boredom especially when it's a boredom that comes because my attention is being challenged not because I feel like the artist is not challenging themselves (laughs) Um, but yeah risk I feel like is the number one thing that I I look for now in a performance but I also think that going to performance um, can be a lot more about just myself and this uh I think it was Claudia LaRocco, a a journalist in New York, wrote a beautiful essay about, she's a critic, she sees a lot of performance, about um, watching performance as a a spiritual or meditative practice and how she sees her, the experience is less about sitting there and and asking yourself the question, okay, what am I being given right now and do I like it? Mm-hmm. And more about so New York. <laughs> she's, yes, which well, and it's it's just very capitalist. It's just the way that we're sort of trained to watch things. But instead, thinking about like what is happening and how do I feel about it, and what does that say about me, and what does that say about what's happening, and in that way, I can sort of when I'm miserable in a performance situation, t- tapping back into that can remind me that I'm also engaged in a practice. And it's not just about the fact that I bought a ticket and I'm sitting in my seat. Um, I was actually at something last night um, that was really boring. And I was really cold and uncomfortable. And there weren't very many people there, so I didn't feel like I could leave necessarily. Um, But it was actually wonderful because it was like something really clear was happening. And I could tap into my experience as a spectator. And I really, really enjoyed it, finally. Um, or valued the experience. Um, so that's just been something that's really helpful for me to think about as we're wading through all of the inevitably un, maybe unsuccessful work that we see. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say it like, I, I wish artists and just people in general were not afraid of boredom. I find boredom is exactly where we start to think. Yeah. We start to like just, you know, I. I have all my friends that are like, I can't go to the bathroom without bringing my phone. They're just like, they're so afraid of boredom <laughs> that they're like, they always have to have their phone on them. And like, you know, I was going to just say that exact point. Like for me, my favorite moment when I'm watching a performance is when I just get lost in a meditative state where it's like this thing's happening in front of me, but it's just like, I see little things and then my mind just kind of goes in all sorts of directions. And then like, that's, I think it's that state of meditation that ends up inspiring me because like my mind's just able to go anywhere and and going back to what you were saying Allison about like this you your your struggle with like seeing um awful performances I think I think it's a good place because you're honing your your ability to recognize what is good and I was I was watching this YouTube video I forget the name of the the author but the video is called The Gap if anyone want to go see it. And it talks, he talks about this idea of um, 
being able to recognize great work and then, but like looking at your work and saying, well, it's kind of mediocre compared to what I'm recognizing. But then like the more and more you produce work, the more and more that gap kind of closes. And then eventually you're just kind of like on the same level as the performances that you're, you admire. And I think that's a great place to be, to be able to recognize. But that, I think that's what I was saying earlier, learning to just be inspired by anything, by any performance. I, I really think that it's um, one of the things, it, it's really, really tough, and I don't know the answer, but I do know the question. And the question is that we can't, uh, it doesn't seem that you, you need to practice your art in order to get good at it. And we don't. It's like you get a show and it's gone. And if it doesn't tour, and big companies are able to have co-producers, so they know that they're going to have a run of it. So maybe they open up in in their home city, they open up in Montreal or whatever, and it's like, hmm, okay. And then you see that show come back around at the end of that tour, and you're like, whoa! I mean, the, the performers have just been able to slip into themselves like a glove and understand, and nuance is what art is. And they've been able to, instead of just get out of gross modo and get into... Um, shifting and loving the thing to a little bit more, a little bit less, a little bit over here, and 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 get into that that gradation that's just so incredibly compelling and 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 thrilling, um, and to to artistry, and thrilling to humanity, this ability to to to. But we really have a, a tough time getting enough, getting our shows. We have to throw them out there. And you know, and then getting the resources and the time to be able to to actually clear and clean them. Jean-Marie, another thing I loved about him is he did his performances. He would do uh, um, a month of just calling it uh, work in progress. You go, you'd pay for your ticket. You just call it work in process, and it's kind of a wonderful thing. Like uh, Twyla Tharp writing on her grant things. I don't write grants. I make I make dances send money. I mean, <laughs> one person can only do it once, right? She got the money, but um, so I don't know that we can all do that. But but in a way, it feels like that's more honest about what we're we're actually doing, and that would help as our, our audience members to understand that we're going to something that hasn't had the chance to breathe and get, um, get, get into nuance. And nuance is art. Mm-hmm. I've had like several conversations with my mentor in New York, uh, Giro Luciani. He, um, we, we've been talking about this idea of like the work in pro- progress uh, shows. And I think it's a great idea. But like, it's unfortunate when shows only stay there. And I think, I think what, what's been great mm-hmm. with the work that me and him have been doing there is like, we'll have like particular performances that we've done that are like, we're like, this is a work in progress for this show. And so like, we have these little performances that are all leading up to this bigger thing. But like, yeah, I think... That's lovely, yeah. Yeah, I think, but I think we should engage more in that, like the, the research process. And I guess it's probably because I come from like a media background, I just... There's just like so much shit being put out into the universe in terms of like because of YouTube and because of how easy media is like in terms of filmmaking. That's why I'm like because it's so easy to put out stuff now. People aren't taking the time to create, and that's why I'm like okay, like I need to be fall in love with this process of just experimenting and being honest with that experimenting phase, (laughs) and then put out good work. (laughs) I'm tired of putting out shit. I'm tired of (laughs) it. I heard a I heard a, a a quote recently that one of the one of the symptoms of late capitalism is that everybody wants to be special and nobody wants to take responsibility, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's exactly with this phenomenon of of being able to diffuse media so easily and so quickly and put things out on a really large scale without necessarily putting in the work to to make sure that what you're putting out into the world is is of some sort of integrity. Mm-hmm. But then just labeling huge. it, like you said, labeling it a work in progress. I think that's, that's important. And I think that's what then the audience can engage with it, being like, okay, what do I think is working there and what do I, do I not think? And then how do you, you should create a platform for those kind of conversations to happen too. Another thing that I just wanted to mention or toss in there is, is also 
As resources become scarce, I hope that we do not go back into a situation where it is just the people who are producing, who can produce, who have been allowed to produce, that are deciding what art is or not art is. There has got to be room. Our producers have to. We have to kick and shove and push and make sure that they understand that there have to be exceptions to the rule, that they have to be willing to go, no, I don't always know, because they are deciding what can be seen and what cannot be seen. And the, 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 as resources recede, that's going to, that is going to, um, I'm just, red flag people, <laughs> red flag people, um, make sure that, uh, uh, yeah, keep your heart intact and keep your art intact and, and, and go with integrity. But uh, be the exception to the rule. Be the exception to the rule. If, if that's who you are and what you are, be it. And I think on that note, we will wrap up our 100th episode uh, anniversary edition uh, of the Dirty Feet podcast. Again, uh, around the table, we've had Phil Fortin, Margie Gillis, Dorian Neskin-Oder, Stephanie Morin-Robert, Tim Rodrigues, J.D. Papillon, and myself, Alison Burns. Thank you for listening. Be the exception to the rule. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful one. Beautifully said. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par... Produced and hosted by Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Moret-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com, follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet, and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.